Grant. And I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. Happy anniversary, everybody! Woo! Uh, We've been doing this for a year! A year, exactly. This is coming out on the one-year anniversary of our first episode. Yeah. Which is also the anniversary of Alexis St. Martin getting shot in the gut. And and, uh, and becoming a human science experiment. <laughs> For uh, more on that, go back to episode one on Mackinac Island. Yeah, if you haven't listened to the episode, shame on you. It's where it all started. That's a mean thing to say, <laughs> but okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> but but since this is our anniversary, uh, you wanted to talk about something that harkened back to it. Kinda. Sort of a thematic cousin. I mean, like, since we started, I knew I always wanted to do an episode focused on this. Uh, it just seemed appropriate to do it now because of the death toll. <laughs> like, and if we're going to go full circle here, we need to have one full of death to and, celebrate. And what are we talking about? We are talking about Great Lakes shipwrecks. Oh, wonderful. Uh, and specifically what we're talking about today, uh, I've picked several stories Based on the fact they have songs written about them. <laughs> um, there are actually, like, a lot that I wanted to talk about, but this episode got really long after just, like, three. Second anniversary. <laughs> so maybe there'll be a part two to Great Lake Shipwrecks in the future. Year and a half recognition. <laughs> ah, whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> just, just picked a few favorites. Cool, cool. Yeah. So what's um, up first? So up first... We are going to talk about the Gale of 1913. I remember Gale. She was a lovely woman. Wrong type of Gale. Are you sure? Because yes. those bake sales, ah, historic. Not a person. Okay. Not a person, not a specific ship. Oh, because you know it's weather. It, it's yeah, weather. It's a storm. It's, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm the smart one. So the uh, Gale of 1913 mm -hmm. has a song written about it called The Gale of 1913. Now, how did they pick that title? Seems esoteric. <laughs> you should ask Dan Hall who wrote it, which... How many of these are Dan Hall songs while we're... A lot! Okay, cool, cool. Okay, so Dan Hall mm -hmm. is this Michigan-based folk singer uh, who has like a CD and a half about like... Great Lake Shipwrecks <laughs> and uh, lighthouses and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so he's going to come up several times. For the ones that I'm not covering today, I did find quite a few songs that are not by him that I was going to use for other shipwrecks. We're just not getting to them today. Okay. He's a Michigan folk singer. I actually found out about him back in like 97, 98. Are are you putting in your like old school Dan High Dan Hall bona fides right now? Is that what this is? Yeah, you're being a folk hipster. Yeah, my family briefly belonged to the Michigan Lighthouse Keepers Association, though we had no affiliation with a lighthouse. <laughs> uh, and he he played the convention we went to. Did and they... it was right around when the CD that really focuses on uh, shipwrecks came out. Did the association kick you out because you're such a fan of shipwrecks, which is what they are mostly against? I've... 
Like, as much as a fan of shipwrecks as I am, I am a super fan of lighthouses. That is another episode that will happen sometime. They're mortal enemy. The whole point of the lighthouse is to prevent shipwrecks. They let him sing about them. That seems unwise. I don't know. <laughs> so in addition to his song, The Gale of 1913, he also has a song called The Wheelsman, which is also about uh, some storm, some ships in the storm. Uh, for all the songs I mention, we're going to link them in our link area. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can go listen to them and uh, hear them and what they sing about. The Gale of 1913 was a great like storm. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it was blizzard. With hurricane force winds, and it lasted from November 7th to November 10th, 1913. Mm-hmm. Uh, the worst day being the 9th. You know what happens when the gales of November come early. Yeah, that's 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 what we're talking about here, okay? Is that spoilers? Okay. Spoilers! Um, so this was the deadliest and most destructive natural disaster to hit the Great Lakes in recorded history. Oh my! It wrecked ships on four of the five Great Lakes, uh, Lake Huron being hit the hardest. Which one got off? Uh, Was it Ontario? Nobody cares about Lake Ontario. I think it was Ontario, because Ontario, even though it's a Great Lake, it's more inward. Yeah, it's so far east compared to the others. Which what we're going to talk about a little bit is like how this gill developed. Mm -hmm. And a big thing with that development is the amount of lake water. It Ah. is over. So Lake Ontario is like the farthest away from it. It has to travel over some land before it gets there. Right. It's pretty much okay. So if you're Canadian or a New Yorker, good job. Yeah. Uh, Over 250 people died. 19 ships were completely destroyed and 19 others were stranded. 24 inches of snow was recorded in some areas. So at least you got the day off school. (laughs) Yeah. 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 What is a November gale? Mm -hmm. Do you know what it is? It's a great big storm that happens in the fall. What more do I need to know? (laughs) Like, it's in the name. Well, yeah, it it is a seasonal process. It happens in the fall. Not that I am, like, a weather person, so I'm going to try to get this correct. So that's why we brought on our special guest... Tom Skilling. Everybody, Tom Skilling. I wish. My God. Round of applause. I would fangirl so hard. For the big skills. So it's an extra tropical cyclone. And it like originates when two major storm fronts meet. Mm -hmm. And it's fueled by the warmer lake waters. And extra tropical cyclone, that, that means a spinning storm that happens outside the tropics. Yep. Yep. Cool. So, like a hurricane, but not. Right. it can't be. For, I guess, for those who aren't, like, as familiar with the Great Lakes, like, here we're really, really familiar with what the Great Lakes are, <laughs> what comes from them. But I assume other places in the world, they're like, what are you even talking about? They are five massive freshwater lakes, uh, some of the biggest in the world. Yes. And, like, massive is important here because um, the volume of water in the Great Lakes because there's so much, it does stay relatively warm into later parts of the year. Mm-hmm. Warm means still like, you know, 30 degrees or whatever, <laughs> but it doesn't freeze instantly because there's so much. Right. Um, so during the fall, you know, we got like cold, dry air moving or southeast from Canada and we got warm, moist air coming 
from the Gulf of Mexico up north, Mm -hmm. and they meet, usually more towards the west of here, and they start forming a large storm. Then it starts to move eastward, it hits the lakes, is warmed by it, you also got, like, the jet stream above it, it starts this cyclonic system, and we get November gales, or what they also call November witches. Uh That's another term for it. So these storms can remain for days over the lakes. Um, Since 1847, there's been 25 um, what has been considered killer storms recorded. Now, as I said, uh, the 1913 gale lasted from November 7th to the 10th. So it was first noticed uh, that Thursday, and uh, I found some really fun uh, newspaper, like, weather descriptions. Mm-hmm. I love a fun newspaper weather description. Yeah, such as a uh, forecast from our Detroit paper said, moderate to brisk winds, some occasional rain, maybe Thursday or Friday. Uh, around midnight that evening, though, a southern northerly gale happened uh-huh. on Lake Superior. It ended up actually really damaging a ship that had to take cover like immediately uh by the eighth the storm had grown and was centered over lake eastern lake superior uh and it was covering the entire lake basin that's a big basin right uh port here on paper was still saying that the winds remained moderate to brisk but they had reached gale strength on north michigan and uh or north lake michigan and on west superior um, they were like 60 miles per hour. <laughs> well, you know how folks in Port Huron do. Yeah. That's what they consider brisk. They're a hardy people. <laughs> well, I think a big thing, which is going to come up again, is that, you know, this is 1913. Weather reporting took a while to happen. And so things were <laughs> always a the bit... They telegraph, though. Things they... were a bit behind, though. They didn't have to be. <laughs> um. So a false... Lull in the storm uh, happened, and traffic started to flow more. Mm-hmm. Um, they thought it was over, but it was just a false lull. Yeah, so like traffic was moving along Detroit, Detroit and Saint Clair River into Lake Huron. Um, there were gale flags still raised, but a lot of people ignored it because well, it doesn't seem that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, ships traveled through the day and night on the Straits of Mackinac and in those rivers as well. Now, on November 9th, which this is the worst day. The the deadly day. Yeah. By uh, noon, the weather conditions on Lower Lake Huron were really close to normal. And a lot of people thought that the storm was ending because of changes in the barometric pressure. Um, They thought, okay, like, it's over. We're going to be okay. Uh, Now, what they didn't know was along southeast Lake Erie by Erie, Pennsylvania, Mm -hmm. uh, a southern like, low-pressure area was moving towards the lake. Now, it had developed overnight. Because this happened, it was absent from Friday's weather maps, so they didn't know it was there. Mm -hmm. And it was moving northwest. Storms don't sleep, folks. Watch out. So, weather forecasters at the time really did not have enough data or understanding to predict these storms Mm -hmm. accurately. They did surface observations only twice a day, which is the, where, like, the main issue comes from. Because by the time they collected data, wrote about it, 
sent it out to everyone, and then did it again, things really changed. <laughs> and if you're only doing that twice a day, like, you're going to miss a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So they missed this. Uh, the system that was moving from Pennsylvania had an intense counterclockwise rotation. And as it moved, the winds, like, phased with the winds that were already hitting Superior and Huron. Uh-huh. So then it became this, like, explosive increase in winds with wind speed and snow. It's like that storm in the day after tomorrow, and then Jake Gyllenhaal has to burn the tax code. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, basically. What it turned into later that night is what they call a weather bomb. <laughs> like, that's the term they give it. You'll never stop me, Superman. I have the weather bomb. And this was, like, really from, like, 8 p.m. to midnight was when it was just the worst. But weather bombs when, like, you have sustained 70-plus mile-per-hour winds. Not gust, just sustained. Right. Um, And these winds were attacking the lakes. Um, They had then 90-plus mile-per-hour gusts were happening in certain areas, too. Ships on Lake Huron, uh, south of Alpena, so like Harbor Beach, Port Huron, Sarnia, Mm -hmm. Canada, uh, were just battered with waves. Um, Some of the ships tried to take shelter along the coast, um, but not many survived. Like, three of the largest ones were just found upside down. That's not... They're not built for that, like... (laughs) Engineering-wise, that's not how you want your boat. Yeah. No. That's not how you want your car. No. That happened. Yeah. That happened just yesterday outside our apartment. Upside-down car. Yeah, those people didn't look happy, did they? Well, I think they weren't very happy they had talked to the cops. No. (laughs) (laughs) But why did this happen on a street where you're supposed to be going 30 miles per hour? (laughs) Over November 10th and 11th, the storm was moving northeast in northeast of like London, Ontario. It's moving so that's, over that's overland. Land. Yeah. Because it moved over land, it lost its power quickly because it didn't have the water. So right. Lake Ontario Ontario wasn't hit as hard. But what did follow was lake effect blizzards. Now, if you do not live around like a lake, lake effect snow might not be in the norm, but that is really, really bad stuff. <laughs> It's what can just completely, like, bury a town. Mm -hmm. Cleveland got 22 inches of snow from this, Mm -hmm. uh, including six-foot snowdrifts. There were four-foot snowdrifts along Lake Huron. Um, Chicago actually had recently built a $100,000 breakwater by um, Lincoln Park. Yeah. That was completely uh, swept away oh. in a few hours. And then Milwaukee also had one that was completely swept away. Now, this is interesting. I never knew such a thing was possible. Something interesting happening in Cleveland. <laughs> lots of snow. <laughs> lots and lots of snow. So on the water, um, a big thing was the waves. So yeah, a, a very big thing. I would assume that those things were quite big. Well, so waves were reaching 35 feet. Which that's is, pretty big. That's actually shorter than what is normally formed by gales. What was happening... Bigger door- than I would want to be in, to be fair. <laughs> what made this one so destructive, though, 
is that the waves weren't as high, but they were coming right after each other in rapid succession. Oh. There was no like break to them. So they were just getting pounded constantly. Um, and a lot of the ships just couldn't like rebound from the waves they were getting hit with. Right, right. So, and people also are reporting that the wind was blowing in directions opposite of the waves, which, which comes from the cyclonic motion. This is going this way. This is going this way. What's happening? It, yeah, that seems hard to cope with. Yeah. Some long-term good things came out of the storm. A whole I lot guess. of scrap metal to recycle. There were a lot of complaints against the Weather Bureau. Mm -hmm. um, and that led to increased efforts to have more accurate forecasting. A genetic breeding program, which brought us Tom Skilling, the perfect weatherman. He's so perfect. I love him. <laughs> I only trust his weather forecasts. <laughs> only him. I don't care about the other like weather apps on my phone. I must have the WGN one mm -hmm. because Tom Skilling... Touches it. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think that daily he's just like, yes, this is correct. So this also led to uh, criticism of like shipping companies and ship builders. And it led to um, people seeking safer designs for vessels that could withstand stuff mm -hmm. more. In Cleveland, yeah, uh, it also led to the city beginning a campaign to move all utility cables underground because of the amount of snow they got, they lost power for days. Oh, gosh. Uh, and telephone for days, and, like, they were in really bad shape. So they're like, hey, we're going to fix this so this doesn't happen again. <laughs> I'm amazed that uh, the home of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame cares about anything that's underground. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? Because they're they're all really popular bands that are very not, commercial. Oh, not under... I get it. Yeah. I get it. Got yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> ha. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a minute, but I got it. Do you want to hear the ships? Give me the lost? stats. Okay, here are the stats. On Lake Superior, we lost the Lee Field. Uh, 18 people perished. Now, this ship is still missing. They have not found this shipwreck. Well, then we don't know they're dead. Maybe they were abducted by aliens. <laughs> Cult in the woods got them. Yeah, that's... uh. They're, maybe they're just living on Agnes Island, which is around where it was lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lake Superior also uh, had the Henry B. Smith, uh, which had 25 crew aboard. Uh, this was uh, found... It was near Marquette. Mm-hmm. So Lake Michigan had the Plymouth... With seven crew members. Uh, this was around Green Bay. Lake Erie had the lightship LV-82 with six people lost near uh, Buffalo Harbor. That's just the planet from Aliens. <laughs> I don't know why that ship's like that. It's such a weird name. That's, that's just where Ridley met Newt. Come on. <laughs> uh, Lake Huron. This is the big one. So we had the Agnes. Or no, the Argus. Uh, 28 people. This was lost near Point of Barks on the 9th. The James Carruthers, uh, 22 people were aboard. This was near Goodrich, Ontario, and it is still missing as well. The Hydrus, 25 people. This is also still missing. The John A. McGean, 23 people. Uh, this was lost near Sturgeon Point and is also still missing. The Charles S. Price had 28 people. 
Uh, this was near Lexington, the mouth of the St. Clair River. Now, it was actually, like, seen on the 9th, but it sank shortly after. Uh, and it wasn't identified till the 15th. An assistant engineer, like, had this, like, premonition of disaster and didn't, like, go with the crew. Yeah, but he said that about a lot of things. Well, I can't do my exams. I had a premonition of disaster. He, Sorry, can't come he, home for Thanksgiving, he, Mom. He was the one who had the job of identifying all the bodies they found. That might because, be the disaster he had a premonition yeah. of. Yeah. That's a bad job. Um, the Charles S. Price and some of these actually in uh, Lake Huron are uh, mentioned in the Wheelsman song mm-hmm. that we mentioned earlier. The Regina uh, had 20 people. It was near Harbor Beach. The Isaac M. Scott, 28. Uh, it was lost near Alpena uh, in the Thunder Bay Marine Sanctuary area, which we're going to talk about later. Okay. Uh, and the Wexford, 20 people near Grand Bend, Ontario. So those are some of the ships. Uh, so as I said, some of these haven't been found. Uh, some of the last that were found were as recently as 2013 and 2015. So they could still find them. Yeah. Hope springs eternal. Yeah. That's kind of the... Aquatic archaeology springs eternal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of the gist of the uh, Gale of 1913. That is some high volume death right there. Yeah. Just a list of them. Boom, 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 boom. And then there was like more. Like that doesn't include like... The people from another ship that, like, jumped aboard a lifeboat to try to, like, go seek help, but were hit by, like, a wave and just died instantly and other stuff. All right. Okay. Those aren't included. Not sure why not, but... (laughs) Well, because the lifeboat's not a ship, so it's not a shipwreck. That is true. That these people are meticulous and (laughs) picky. (laughs) It's just the boat doesn't count. (laughs) Well, thank you for that, dear. You're welcome. You're welcome. So then uh, our next shipwreck story has two songs also by Dan Hall mm-hmm. that are connected to it. Uh, they are Sisters of the Storm, uh, which is specifically about the ships. And then the Bright Port Austin Light, which is about like the area this takes place in. And you have a soft spot for that area. I do! So Port Austin is right at the tip of the thumb of Michigan. And I spent many weeks weekends days up there some of the most beautiful beach turning strawberry colored well yeah yeah but i love it port austin's one of my favorite places in the world um there's absolutely nothing in that town but it's some of the most beautiful beach uh you will find on i'm gonna say eastern michigan yeah because the beaches on the eastern side of the state are very different than the beaches on the west side of the state Compared to the beaches off like Lake Superior. It's all very different types of like sand and water. Geology, what's up? Yeah. On November 29th, November is gonna be quite a theme here. Uh 1966, the SS Daniel J. Morell went down. And I'm sure Mrs. Morell was very happy. <sighs> For once. So, uh the Morell was a six hundred and three foot freighter that was built in 1906. So a 60-year-old ship. 60-year-old ship. So the Morell and the SS Edward Y. Townsend were sister ships, hence the Sisters of the Storm song. 
and they were making their final run of the season from Buffalo, New York to Minnesota. Now, I'm just guessing. So you have more experience. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But is this a very busy time for shipping because the lake is about to freeze? Yeah. So, like, there are a lot of people trying to bet big on on one big run before the weather gets too bad and the lake gets too frozen? Yeah, it's, you know, if they don't get stuff shipped by then, there's definitely a big problem of ice, especially um, up in, like, Lake Superior and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, there's still, like, ice cutters and various stuff. And, like, nowadays, I think they can run things longer. Mm-hmm. But the weather's definitely more dangerous. Uh, you're dealing with ice and snow. But right, th- this pressure helps explain why, like, during that week-long gale, some people went out in the middle like, oh, this is surely over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's also like... W- willing to take that risk. I mean, it's also the thing, like, these people, they're they're not just people going out there, like, for the first time. These are seasoned... Mm-hmm. They've seen a lot of Novembers. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, well... How's it that much different than last year? Like, let's just go do this. We can do this. And if they don't make their shipments, like, there's pay issues. There's things mm. where they want to get home to their families. There's a lot of, like, yeah. time issues going on as to why they just go. So they were just going. So they were going. Final run of the season. Again, there was a gale. Uh, the winds were over 70 miles per hour. And the waves were 20 to 25 feet. The... Townsend decided to take shelter and not keep going. It took shelter in the St. Clair River, leaving the Morel who wanted to keep going. And the Morel uh, was in Lake Huron by Pointe Barks, which is also at the tip of the thumb. Okay. Um, Pointe Barks is actually like just over from Port Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're both like right, right on the tip. And they were heading to Thunder Bay for protection. Thunder Bay is along the upper part of the mitten, like, look, using my hand as a map here, not that anyone can see this because this is audio, but it helps me. Um, Maps are recommended for this episode. Yeah, but like along like the the eastern side of the mitten, um, not that far away. So around 2 a.m., the morel was under distress from the weather just kind of taking over things not going well the crew knew something was wrong <laughs> they were like rushing the deck probably because of those 70 mile an hour winds <laughs> and etc i th- they were like starting to take on water and stuff some jumped off the ship into lake huron which was really cold around like 2:15 the ship broke in two like split in half Ah. Like, things were going really bad. They could tell stuff was going wrong. The ship's making noise. Things are not good. Something's going wrong. That's about as wrong as it can go. Ship broke in. They didn't hit anything. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like, they were just in open water, and their ship broke in half. So those that were still, like, on the ship went into the lifeboats, and they were waiting for the bow of the ship to sink and for the raft to like hit the water. Mm-hmm. They were just like, okay, we'll wait this out. It's going to go down. We'll go down nice and gently in our lifeboat. Well, while they were waiting, they saw what they thought was another ship. They're like, oh good, we're going to be saved. This will be great. 
It was actually the Morels aft section uh-huh. that was still being powered by the engines, and it was headed straight for them. Well, that's just fine quality workmanship. They don't really make them like they used to. So It lost half the boat and kept on boating. It did. That is a hero. <laughs> so the aft hit the bow and then just kept on going. That is an anti-hero. That's what that is. It didn't even stop. It just kept going into the distance. The morel wasn't known to be missing until the next afternoon when it was overdue at where it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And the Coast Guard issued a lookout and several vessels were sent to search. Uh, at 4 p.m. the next day, the Coast Guard helicopter found one lone survivor. Uh, watchman Dennis Hale, he was in one of the life drafts with the bodies of three crewmates. And he spent 40 hours in just, he's wearing boxer shorts, a life vest, and a peacoat. And that was it. Well, those peacoats <laughs> don't make them like they used to. When they eventually found the shipwreck, because, you know, mm-hmm. they, they did, like, surveys, they went looking for the wreckage. It was 220 feet below the water surface, but the two pieces were five miles apart. That is how long that section of the boat just kept on motoring. After it dropped the front. After it bumped into it, it just kept going for five miles until it sank. And this is located just, like, north of the tip of the thumb. Mm -hmm. The sister ship was found to have a large crack on the deck that grew worse shortly after this. And it was docked for two years as a total loss. On October 7th, 1968, they were towing it to Europe to be scrapped for the metal and everything. And it got caught in a storm and it snapped in two as well. And it actually sank really close to like where the Titanic went down. (laughs) Sometimes a family can have too much of a resemblance, you know? Yeah. So what actually came of this? Why couldn't one of them be adopted? That's all I'm asking. There was a reason why the snapping in two was happening. Yeah. So Coast Guard investigation of the morel concluded that the hull was made of a steel that became brittle in temperatures below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. What's it doing on Lake Huron? Right? Right? The water that day was 33 degrees. Like, and these ships were in that type of water all the time. Yeah. And so when it was below 50 degrees, it was prone to cracking. That's what happened. You don't say. And this was apparently really common in ships built before 1948. Mm. And they knew that, like, the morel was, like, built before then. So it probably was included in this. But they didn't bother to, like, test the steel. Mm Mm-hmm. To see, like, is this the bad type of metal? So for 60 years, they just let this thing operate. And no one bothered to be like, hey, maybe since we know this is a problem, we should, like, test to see if it's okay. Yeah. Nope. So the remains of 26 of the 28 people who died were recovered. um, Though some not till May. Because they had to wait till the bodies, like, appeared. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the only survivor uh, actually died in September 2015. Uh, he was 75. But yeah, so that's the morale. And oh, uh, there we go. Maybe it's time for a break. Yeah, while I think of how to make jokes about this, 
Because this is a fun yeah, time podcast you haven't, show. You haven't talked a lot. I guess it's I'm making you too sad. Now, it's not that you're making me too sad. Okay. It's that I don't want to sound like a heartless monster <laughs> doing yuck-em-ups about... Oh, people died! About dredging a lake for 26 out of 28 corpses. Can't really dredge that lake. That's why they only found 26. (laughs) See, that's the closest I can get. They mostly have to wait for them to, like, just float onto the shore. Yeah, there's nothing funny about that. (laughs) Follow the seagulls! And with that... (laughs) Uh, so what's what's the second half of the episode going to be about? I'm terrible. My what God, what are we going to talk about, dear? Uh, we are going to talk about what is probably the most famous shipwreck on the Great Lakes. There's no probably about it. This is number one of all time. Like maybe the most famous shipwreck outside of the Titanic. I mean, the legend does live on from the Chippewa <laughs> on down. Do you have the song lyrics pulled up just so you can make puns? I'm no cheater. <laughs> I mean, there's the Lusitania, but that's not really a wreck. That was... That was different. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, maybe? Maybe! And that is because it has the most famous folk song written about it, and it's not by Dan Hall. <laughs> Though, Dan Hall also did write a, uh, two songs about this. You could write a dozen songs. So we are going to talk about the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, which was by Gordon Lightfoot. This was, his song was recorded in December 1975 and released in 1976. Now, Dan Hall, uh, as I said, has two songs written about it. He has one called McSorley and the Lady of the Storm mm-hmm. and one called Cooper of the Anderson, which those names will make sense in a minute. So the Edmund Fitzgerald went down on Lake Superior on November 10th, 1975. <laughs> So it went down uh, 17 miles north northwest of Whitefish Point, and the entire crew of Net 29 was lost. Mm-hmm. Um, Superior to said, never gives up her dead. I hate you. <laughs> the SS Edmund Fitzgerald was a business project enterprise of Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company uh, of Milwaukee. Uh, it was built by the Great Lakes Engineering Works of Ecorse, Michigan. Woohoo! Ecorse! Yeah. Well, go Rouge. <laughs> Ecorse. <laughs> Close enough. Don't worry, we'll mention Rouge in a minute. Okay. So, uh, it was built with the instructions to build a maximum sized bulk carrier. Mm-hmm. Like, let's do it as big as we can for the Great Lakes. The keel was laid August 7th, 1957. And it was the largest ship on the Great Lakes for 13 years uh, at 729 feet long, 13,632 gross tons. Mm-hmm. Big. It was big. It was very gross. But I should say, like, a lot of these ships, like, we're talking about, like, these are, these are, they're freighters. Yeah. They're, it's not just, like, a boat. They're, these are huge. <laughs> um, I think, like, it's easy to, like, kind of forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you just don't automatically go to that. Yeah, that, that's what shipping mostly is. It's, it's commercial shipping. Yeah. It's carrying big amounts of big things. Yeah. And I bring this up because like, I'm used to seeing freighters. I know that's what's used. 
But even when I say ship, like, that isn't what my mind goes to. Yeah. Like, in an image. And you have to remind myself, no, giant freighter. Yeah. Not, not. Not a pleasure well, yacht. Yeah. So it launched June 8th, 1958 in River Rouge, Michigan. Go and Rouge. you have a story about this. That's true. That's true. When this was launched, my grandmother was there uh, with her young children in tow, including my dad. Mm-hmm. And her home movie actually uh, was donated to Michigan's Shipwreck Museum. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure they still have it on display. So if you go to, like, the Edmund Fitzgerald exhibit, Mm -hmm. you will see one of my family's home movies. Well, there's actually a video uh, we're going to link that has, like, some interviews and stuff about the Edmund Fitzgerald. And I'm pretty sure, like, I don't know if it doesn't, like, list your grandma's name. But I'm pretty sure some of the footage they use in it is from the launching, which would be what your grandma took. Yeah. Which is pretty neat. The Fitz was named after president and chairman of the board at Northwest Mutual Life Insurance. Uh, The actual real live Edmund Fitzgerald. Yes. Which, I'm going to be calling it the Fitz a lot because that's like its nickname. Big Ed. (laughs) No. No? Uh, It was under a permanent charter of Columbia Transportation Division of Ogle Bay Norton Company in Cleveland. A lot of words. That's an awful name. That's the worst name. Right? It's terrible. It doesn't even make an acronym. So it's final journey. On November 9th, it left Burlington Northern Railroad Dock. But this is the Burlington Northern Railroad Dock in Superior, Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, It left with 26,116 tons of taconite pellets uh so that's like iron ore that's pressed into like marble size balls and it was captained by ernest m mcsorley so there's a name that i mentioned earlier Mm -hmm. how excited do you think that folk singers are that mcsorley is so good at rhyming mcsorley is such a good name it's a good name and it rhymes with everything you could rhyme that with envelope if you try it hard enough so it left at uh, about 2.30 p.m., and it was to meet the Arthur M. Anderson, which was captained by Bernie Cooper. Uh, and they had left to Harbors, Minnesota. Now, they were in radio contact. The Fitzgerald was in the lead. It was a faster ship. Uh, they had mm-hmm. about 10 to 15 miles between them. Both captains were aware of a building storm, another November gale. <laughs> but they decided to... Continue on. They were both very seasoned with piloting such weather. It was not a concern to them. Mm-hmm. And they decided to take the northerly course along Superior because then the Canadian shore would offer some protection. And then they turn for the shelter of Whitefish Point. Along this route, uh, Cooper noted that on the radar, he watched the Fitzgerald pass really close to this place called Six Fathom Shoal Mm -hmm. uh, of Caribous Island. And it's like a dangerous area with some shallow water. And he thought he was like a little too close to it. But... You know how those backseat drivers are, though. (laughs) And like nothing came of that right away. But later on, at around like 3.30, McSorley radioed saying that they had some damage and that they were taking on some water. Um, they had their pumps going, but they want asked the Anderson to stay with them till Whitefish Point. Mm-hmm. They agreed. Uh, the Fitzgerald slowed so the Anderson could catch up. 
Um, and they continue to be in radio contact, mostly about like navigational stuff. The Fitzgerald really never said anything else alarming about the condition or anything deteriorating. Mm-hmm. Around 5.20 p.m., the winds and waves were worsening. The Anderson was hit with really big wave that damaged some of their lifeboats. Oh, dear. Um, which seems like that would be like foreshadowing for something, but it's not. <laughs> Just going to say, like, doesn't actually matter in the future, but it did happen. It's thematic is what it yeah. is. Yeah. You're just going to wait for like, oh, and then they needed those lifeboats. No, they, they actually didn't. They <laughs> didn't need those lifeboats. Uh, at 6.55, the Anderson's pilot house felt a really big bump and then the ship lurched and a huge wave just completely engulfed the entire ship. Mm-hmm. Um, the Anderson popped right back up, but it got hit by another one. And uh, I believe it was Cooper who said this, it was quoted later on, I watched those two waves head down the lake towards Fitzgerald, and I think those were the two that sent him under. So the first mate uh, of the Anderson was keeping watch of Fitzgerald on the radar. Mm-hmm. And they're still like nine to ten miles apart, but can follow along on the radar. But he kept losing sight of her because of the sea return. So that's like waves that are too high. It's interfering. It's oh, losing yeah. the radar on it. Um, and he last spoke to the Fitzgerald around 7.10. They were speaking in, about other ships in the area by Whitefish Point. Uh, and he asked how they were doing. Like, mm-hmm. how's your stuff going? How's things? <laughs> and you gossip. What's up with all that water? <laughs> And uh, they replied, they're holding their own, things were fine, nothing, So they were flat out lying. Pretty much. So then, around five minutes later, at 7.15, the pip on the radar went out, and it didn't come back. Mm Mm-hmm. So the first mate called and got no response from the Fitzgerald. Maybe the the reply, we are holding our own, meant we're, like, huddled together. We're holding each other. Holding each other as we pray. (laughs) Cooper started radioing other ships in the area to see if they heard anything, saw anything, because they were they were off the radar. And if they were in distress, a distress call wasn't set. No one heard anything. Right, yeah. So either there was a malfunction or something terrible happened that they could not send a distress call. Mm-hmm. So then Cooper did call the Coast Guard mm-hmm. and was concerned... Expressed concern over. He's like, we, we aren't hearing from them. We don't see we're, them. We're getting ghosted, okay? <laughs> yeah. The Coast Guard, Mick though... McSorley hasn't said anything about my Facebook updates. <laughs> I'm getting worried. The The Coast Guard kind of didn't care at that moment because in this storm, they were busy looking for an overdue 16-foot-long boat, <laughs> which they're a little bit more worried about. <laughs> well, okay, sure. <laughs> Little. Yeah. Where is it? Maybe this shows that I don't belong in the Coast Guard, but I'd be a bit more worried about the biggest <laughs> ship on the lake. Because that could be a battering ram and smash all the little 16-foot <laughs> boats you don't find it. Eh, I guess. Yeah. Might just, like, motor off into the distance. Hey, any Coast Guard Great listeners we have somewhere. out there, I'm pretty sure we have at least one. The morale just wanted adventure. <laughs> 
the great white somewhere. Yeah. It wanted more than it could tell. But only the back half. The front half was like, nope, never mind. I'm gone. I'm done. The front half was like, I'm good. This is great. Why would I leave? Why would I leave my island, Moana? The island gives us what we need. How many Disney references can I use? I, I don't know. So Bolt. I, that doesn't fit. That's nothing. I love Bolt. Not enough people like pay attention to Bolt. I was trying to work in a Lilo and Stitch reference, but I didn't know what to do. They sang like yeah. Stitch. Yeah. So around 8 p.m., uh, Cooper called the Coast Guard again and expressed even more concern. Yeah. And this time they, the Coast Guard was like, yeah, okay, this is a problem. You still haven't heard from them in like another half hour. So they initiated a search as well. Now, the Anderson had reached the safety of Whitefish Bay by about 9 p.m. The Coast Guard called them, mm-hmm. called Cooper, and asked them to turn around and go look for Fitzgerald. What do you think they've been doing all <laughs> night? It didn't work. Well, I mean, this has only been about an hour and 45 minutes. Still, they tried. It's and somebody they, else's turn. They continued in their distance because the storm's still going, and they're like, we don't know what's going on. We're going to get to safety. But the Coast Guard was like, we kind of need you to go do this. We don't mm-hmm. really have anyone else that's as close. Uh, you're the best shot to seeing if they're there. They gave it up to Cooper. They're like, "You, this is your ship. You mm-hmm. will know what type of beating it will take, if it can handle more. Now, the, the Coast Guard also expressed that they were concerned that Fitzgerald may have split in the storm. There is precedent for such a thing. Yes, like that is the exact reference to the morale. Mm-hmm. Um, but as they said, it was up to Cooper. He got to decide. Cooper was worried about going back out because they had taken quite a beating. He also knew that they were kind of like the only shot. Mm-hmm. So he, they said, we'll go give it a try. So Anderson, the Anderson ended up being the primary vessel in the search. Mm-hmm. Uh, another ship, the William Clayford, Clayford uh, also left Whitefish Bay and helped. All they found was two lifeboats of the Fitzgerald and debris, but no sign of survivors. Uh, the Coast Guard sent an aircraft, uh, and at 10 p.m. they launched two cutters, but... They were launched from places far away, so one didn't arrive until noon the next day, and the other one not until the 14th. Oh, okay. But, you know, the the Coopers there, they're not finding anyone alive. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, it kind of doesn't matter that they arrive later. <laughs> At this point, it's really just looking for where the wreck went. Right. If you haven't found survivors now, you're not going to find them. So on the 14th, a U.S. Navy plane also came with... A magnetic anomaly detector thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which, yeah, because th- it's a big steel ship carrying 26,000 tons of iron. Yep. Yeah. You're gonna, you're it, gonna it'll make a, your needle wiggle. You'll get a pip off that. Yeah. So they found a really strong signal contact mm-hmm. uh, about 17 miles from Whitefish Point. They also did several... Uh, Sonar surveys over coming days that showed wreckage in the same area. In May 1976, uh, a third survey happened and a controlled underwater recovery vehicle 
was brought in. A robot sub. Robot sub. Yeah. Uh, It took like 900 pictures and 43,000 feet of video. (laughs) And you could clearly see Edmund Fitzgerald on the side. Right. And it was 535 feet below the surface. Um, So they found it. No one thing that is, is that the happy ending? No. Okay. We're gonna talk about more. Well, I think I forgot to point is it that out. Is that the sad ending? No. Okay. So one thing with this time frame, you know, it went down in November. Mm-hmm. Gordon Lightfoot wrote that song in December. And it was <laughs> released in January. They didn't even find the ship until May. What if Like what a turnaround there. But like what if it didn't sink? It just sailed to like France and like shh Yeah. Don't tell anybody. It's just like and I mean there's some stuff in the Gordon Lightfoot song that like eventually they would find out was like slightly wrong. Yeah. Um but it's like crazy that like it was such a quick turnaround and mm-hmm. like what happened there? Not even wait until they're cold in their watery grave, Gordo. <laughs> now who's callous? April 15th, 1977, the U.S. Coast Guard would release the official report, and the cause of sinking could not be officially determined. But they did I'm sta- going to say the storm. <laughs> I'm going to place the blame on the storm. Well, they did state that the most probable cause was a loss of buoyancy and, like, stability resulting from flooding of a cargo hold, probably due to hatch closures not being closed properly. Which means they're basically putting the blame on the crew for doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. A lot of people did not support this. Because... Well, what's the crew going to say? They can get away with it. A lot of people did not back this Coast Guard claim because of Cooper's statement about the Fitzgerald passing close to that shallow area. Oh. And how shortly after is when they started to express damage. Mm-hmm. Cooper would later say that he always believed McSorley knew something had happened after that and wouldn't say, but that he knew that they were sinking. He knew that the situation was way worse, mm-hmm. but was trying to like, get it done so and apparently did nothing to radio for help or put his people in lifeboats well here's the thing like when we say sinking like he knew that they were taking on water mcsorley might not have known like how bad it actually was Mm -hmm. like they were trying to make it to whitefish point they were like 17 miles away it wasn't that far right the fact though that they're taking on water the storm was bad they were losing buoyancy because of this, but not from, like, hatch closure problem, from, like, damage. Mm-hmm. Um, you get hit by those waves, that can turn it into, like, a crazy, like, freak accident. Right. Like, if those waves wouldn't have happened, they probably would have made it. They mm-hmm. probably would have been fine. But the waves that Cooper described taking over their whole ship before going on, that probably really affected them. Let's send another robot sub down there and see if the doors are, are closed <laughs> properly. Yep. In November 1994, uh, the Great Lake Shipwreck Historical Society was invited to the Mariner's Church in Detroit by families of the victims. Mm-hmm. Uh, the families were really concerned that recreational like diving and shipwreck 
diving expeditions were becoming more popular. Mm -hmm. And they were worried about the wreckage being disturbed. And, you know, they didn't have a memorial. They didn't have a thing. The whole, the whole, this was a meeting to figure out, like, what can we do? What, what are options? And what they came upon was the idea of an item from the Fitzgerald wreckage being removed for memorial on land. Uh, the ship's bell was decided upon with the idea that a replica bell would be, would be placed at the wreckage, um, as like a permanent grave marker. Mm -hmm. So the historical society took this task on. They took care of t contacting everyone necessary to make it happen. And in 1995, the Canadian government, because it was just over the, the border, mm -hmm. um, granted permission to do so. Now, I thought of something they could have tried that would be a lot cheaper. Hmm. Just have the replica bell be uh, uh, their memorial on land. And so you don't have to go fishing and salvaging anything. They wanted a thing. Okay, they make the thing. You've got the thing. They they wanted a thing. Okay, get the th get the real <laughs> thing. At the end of June of nineteen ninety five, a small uh, fleet of boats gathered around the site. Uh, There's including a boat carrying family members. Before this time, there were several like expeditions, kind of like check things out. But this was when they were going to get it. Yeah. Uh, National Geographic sent underwater photographer Amori Kristoff uh, to help, like, organize and document. Now, he was one of the first people to visit Titanic Ooh. and, like, photograph it and stuff. On Monday, uh, July 3rd, because they also went, like, back again. They had to go one time and then they had to go back again. <laughs> um, takes a lot to do. Uh, the bell was recovered at 1.25 p.m. with family watching. Sony Corporation loaned the use of a prototype high-definition television camera uh, <laughs> and a technician to film this event. The Chippewa tribe out of Sault Ste. Marie um, also backed it by co-signing a twenty, a $250,000 loan for the historical society because mm -hmm. this costs a lot of money. Yeah, And the legend does live on from the Chippewa on down of the lakes that they call Gitchigum. Yes, yes. <laughs> We're not talking about the tribe because that was written before this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that well, maybe he got that so right. He, he predicted the future. Uh, the loan is, um, historical society is, like, crazy. Like, they took this on, uh, they paid back the loan within, like, three years. Mm hmm Like, they are on top of stuff. <laughs> uh, so they removed the bell, uh, and shortly after, a replica was placed there, uh, at the pilot house. And the real bell was taken uh, to Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, um, and they presented it to family members, and they told it 30 times, uh, 29 for the men that were lost in the ship, and once for all sailors who have died on the Great Lakes. Mm -hmm. uh, now, the bell then went, actually, um, for some restoration, cleaning work, and then it went to the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum, which is where it currently is. Mm -hmm. now, the Great Lakes Shipwreck Museum is in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan by Whitefish Point. So it's like an appropriate place yeah. for it. Um, it's where all those shipwrecks keep happening. And you can this visit it. This one in it. particular. I think it's open from like May to October, so you should go <laughs> check it out. That That is where the memorial for the Edmund Fitzgerald, the most famous 
Great Lakes shipwreck is. And uh, we got one more thing to talk about. And okay. it's not like a specific shipwreck, but I think it's really a cool thing to know. And I kind of mentioned it to you the other day, and you didn't seem to know what I was talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, most of the time. <laughs> the Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary and Underwater Preserve. You seem mm-hmm. very surprised about this. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we have a lot of underwater. I don't know that underwater is going anywhere. <laughs> the Thunder Bay Sanctuary is in northwest Lake Huron. The Thunder Bay region is one of the most treacherous areas of the Great Lakes. Due to the weather, gales, rocky areas, fog, all crazy stuff that happens. Not to mention the thunder. Uh, it is a nickname Shipwreck Alley. And within the area, there are over a hundred shipwrecks that have been discovered from all all different types across across different centuries. This seems like the opposite of a sanctuary. <laughs> well, this seems like an awful place to be a boat. There, there are thirteen other underwater preserves like this around the state of Michigan in the Great Lakes. I don't think they get what the word preserve means. Well, no. So these are like areas that they have dubbed like for historical significance. Okay. That's the thing here is that there are so many shipwrecks there that they are important historical things. Um, And there's various like rules about what can be done in the areas mm-hmm. like diving can happen and stuff you can go exploring but there's certain like limitations for what can be done there because they want to preserve what's there if you're sailing your boat in here it better be because you're <laughs> taking on water and there's no hope <laughs> well there can still be boat traffic we're talking like <laughs> 500 feet below water type stuff in some of these areas <laughs> but it's really cool and people like don't know this is there mm-hmm. um and there's really there's some cool things we're gonna link where you can actually like like interactive maps where you can see what ships are in these areas right. and it's crazy how close like how many are there now one thing the thunder bay sanctuary they want to expand it mm-hmm. to where it covers actually the majority of the upper east part of Minton. oh wow so from almost mackinaw like down to stop pointing at your knuckles. I'm trying to think. It's not helping. I'm trying to think what like city would be there. Saginaw. Yeah, maybe Saginaw. But like, there's a huge area that they want to expand it to because yeah, there's yeah. so many shipwrecks along there. I just think it's really interesting, and I think it's kind of like a hidden Michigan treasure and Great Lakes treasure that like people don't know about. It's especially hidden because of that 500 feet of water. Well, yes. Yeah. It's super interesting. There's super really cool stuff out there to, like, read about what's in these sanctuaries. There's a lot of, like, historical societies working to, like, collect this information, preserve Mm -hmm. it. It's neat. And they're still finding, like, we've talked about some ships they haven't found. They're still finding stuff. They're still trying to identify some stuff and piece together, like, what some of these ships were, who, you know, what they did. Cool, it's cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that is my shipwreck episode. Part one. So <laughs> I might do this again sometime. What did you learn stuff? I'm always impressed at the idea that these ships are just fantastically huge, taking on dozens of thousands of tons, and they're crewed by like 20 dudes. Yeah. <laughs> Those are some busy fellas. <laughs> Well, I think it's amazing how many 
shipwrecks there are in the Great Lakes. The Great Lakes are huge. A, a lot of square mileage, a lot of traffic. Yeah, I think it's easy to forget, like, how huge they are. Because there's <laughs> so many shipwrecks there. Mm-hmm. And you'd think, like, wow, eventually they're just going to, like, pile up and, like, can't boat through there or something. But no, it's that <laughs> it's big. It's not a problem. reef of steel wrecking <laughs> right? anybody who tries. Yeah. Eventually there's just, like, a sandbar, but of ships. <laughs> <laughs> I learned about the existence of the uh, Thunder Bay National Marine Sanctuary and Underwater Preserve. Yeah. And it, they have a very interesting mission, yeah. Yeah. I kind of wish it was the sort of preserve one could tour on a whim. Well, you know, if you're in a scuba diver, yeah, you can definitely go. Mm-hmm. That is that is possible for many of these places. I, I like having an episode where we can talk about uh, geology and meteorology and uh, related fields. I think this might be my most, like scientific episode i might put this one under the science tag why not there's a lot of weather in there hopefully i got it right i did ace my meteorology class but uh an art school i got extra credit for watching tom skilling (laughs) 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 we had to collect his news reports and then we got extra credit it was because my teacher had a crush on him with that i'm honest i do too it's fine with that shocking revelation Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back with letters and some very special announcements. So many letters. So many announcements. All right, welcome back, everybody. Yeah. It's time to reach into our stuffed full overflowing mailbag. Oh, my gosh. I don't think we've ever had... So many letters. Since this is our one-year anniversary, yes, uh, our prompt was we, we asked you the very uh, uh, self-congratulatory <laughs> question of your favorite History Honeys episode. Yeah. And that's a topic that got a lot of you folks excited, yeah. which is very flattering, I must which, say. It, it's nice, though, to know like what people have found really interesting and mm-hmm. what stood out to them. Peter writes in to say that uh, his favorite was uh, about the Haymarket Affair in Chicago. I really like that one personally. That's one of the ones that I wrote that I'm proudest of. Yeah, that was, uh, good. That was uh, good. Especially the the music from uh, Haymarket, the Anarchist Songbook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a uh, future episode suggestion in there that uh, definitely uh, speaks to my interest, Peter. So uh, you might just be hearing that one in the days to come. Thanks. Ryan sent us an email uh, for this week's prompt, been most into the episodes about unions and resistance against capitalist greed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they set fire to my communist heart. To yeah. Quote. Yeah, Ryan. Uh, also answered the question of favorite painting, uh, Saturn devouring his son. That was also mentioned by other people. Yeah, that's come up a few times. That's a popular one. And sent us a picture of pets, doggy and kitties. They're Mm -hmm. very cute. Very, very cute. I like them. You got good pets. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Ryan. Kristen writes in to say that their favorite episode is uh, the the Chicago Spookums, our Halloween special. So thank you very much. Uh, Final Gamer sent us an email, uh, and their favorite uh, episodes have been ones that they didn't think they would be, and picked one for each of us. So favorite Grant episode Mm -hmm. uh, is the Anabaptists. 
which they found very fascinating. Uh, and then favorite for me would be the Eastland disaster. Uh, I hope you like they this have one. A strange fascination with lesser known tragedies and disasters. Uh, yeah, I do too, if you can't tell. <laughs> so thank you, Final Gamer. Thanks very much. Uh, David and Charlotte write in, we have some listeners in Germany. That's hey. wonderful. Uh, their favorite episodes include the tuberculosis in fashion one, mm-hmm. uh, the TV ads and presidential campaigns, Go on. and very recently, Soviet space dogs. Hey. Yeah. So thank you very much. Dave sent us an email. Their favorite episodes uh, are the Comic Code Authority, but... The Jim Henson episode is also a close second. Uh, they also answered our prompt about their favorite dog in history, which is their their own dog, uh, which was named Jack. And Jack sounds like a pup. That is yeah. great. Got Gotta some, love your pups. Got some very nice stories about Jack. Yeah. Thanks, David. Uh, James writes in to say that uh, his favorite episode is the Battle of Michigan Avenue. And really liked my my little moral at the end. <laughs> well, th- thank thank you, James. Thanks for appreciating some of the thought that goes into uh, the the topic selections. Yeah, yeah. Do you know why I did the last one when I did it, Cochabamba? Water going on in the world. No, because of the uh, American Health Care Act passing on the 4th in the House, I wanted oh. to do an episode on privatization of public goods, and I thought that was a good one. Yep, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. So thanks, James. Rebecca sent us an email and is answering some very old prompts. I don't uh, mind at all. No. Uh, favorite movie inspired by real-life events, uh, Hacksaw Ridge. That's the, uh, that's, that's Frank from Tennessee, right? Yeah, Frank from Tennessee. Okay. Spidey Man. Christmas tradition. Pickle ornament. That is a thing. Normally, we just have pickles in our trees. It's a thing. <laughs> I get it, though. Uh, but yeah, pickle ornament. Everyone gets three gifts. Brunch instead of dinner. Those sound like good, good Christmas traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite 2016 cool thing. Their sister got married and Rebecca got a job. Hey-o. That is good stuff. Favorite futuristic improvement idea? Teleportation, because traffic sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, favorite superhero? Batman. And no, Rebecca, I have not gotten any Pegasus art yet. Not that I've seen. Yeah, maybe there's some out there, but no one shared it. So <laughs> if you feel like making some Pegasus art, I would. I would like that. That would be wonderful. And That's so would great. the people who wrote in to say that that was their favorite episode. I think they'd be down. I think they'd be pretty down <laughs> with some Pegasus art. So thank you, Rebecca. Thanks so much. Rachel writes in uh, to say that she loves disaster episodes because they're usually things she's never heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of our disasters are about Chicago and Midwesty things. And yeah. she's from England, so it didn't. Mm, yeah. the stories don't travel that far. Yeah. Uh, also... Uh, Chicago Spookums, and always happy when it's a Disney episode. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Because those are lighthearted. Ra- Rachel also thinks we should do a whole podcast on Disney. There's no corpses floating onto the <laughs> beach in a Disney episode. There could be. When? Oh, I will find a way. 
But I also have been saying we should have a Disney podcast. Yeah. Not that we have time for a third podcast, but um, I do think next time, like, we go to Disney, mm-hmm. we do need to have, like, a Disney travel supplemental <laughs> or something. Because I can talk Disney. Maybe, maybe. Thanks, Rachel. Ludvico wrote in uh, that their favorite episode was either John Jay or the Chicago Spookums. Or anytime I go on a free association rant and you steer me back. Yeah, speaking of steering ships, some people could have done a better job today. Remember how you were worried about sounding like a jerk? And sounding, like, rude about dead people, you're starting to get there. Thank you, Ludvico. Thank you. Dylan writes in uh, to answer the most recent prompt he's heard as he catches up, uh, which is favorite ad. Uh, He's very early on. Uh, In Australia, there's a beer called Carlton Draft. But there's this ad that stuck in child Dylan's head uh, that's got these... Sprinting choirs, a man on horseback, and about a billion extras set to O Fortuna. And if that doesn't make you want to buy beer, I don't know what will. I don't know. So thanks, Dylan, and eventually you'll hear us reading your letter. Rick sent us an email. Their favorite episode is the look back at 2016 because they love learning about foundational authors and Dadaism is a favorite artistic movement. A close second is the Haymarket. So thank you, Rick. Uh, thanks, Rick. Sarah writes in to talk about how much she enjoyed the Cochabamba uh, episode and her personal stake in, in uh, a worldwide law school competition this year where she argued about the international legal right to water and consequences for shutting off people's access, which I'd love to talk about more, but we're trying to go really fast because there's a billion emails. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and her favorite uh, episode is a... Toss up between uh, that one and Haymarket, but Comics Code Authority takes it in a nose. Uh, so thank you very much, Sarah. Uh, Rebecca wrote us again a second time uh, and shared favorite painting, Hobsulin? Sounds good to me. Hobsulin? I think that's what it's called. Not sure. It's a really cool picture of a dragon mm-hmm. by uh, Serial Cabret? Cabral? That's an L. I can't see. My eyeballs suck, you guys. I thought that L was a T. (laughs) (laughs) By Cirillo Cabral. I cannot read letters. And along with it, some pictures of uh, some pets of hers. Yeah! We always love animal pictures. Mm -hmm. So thanks again, Rebecca. Yes, thank you. Darnell writes in once again. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, favorite episodes include Eastland Disaster, Iroquois Theater Fire, Great Lakes Oddities, John Jay, The Chicago Cubs, The Battle for Michigan Avenue, Epcot, Stan Lee, Jim Henson. That's half of the show, Darnell. That's pretty equally split between the two of us. <laughs> yeah. Also answered some uh, old prompts. A favorite mm-hmm. superhero, Nightwing. Uh, but he's got a love for tokusatsu heroes, sentai, common riders, metal heroes, Ultraman, the whole roster. Favorite couple. Picked a real one and a fictional one. And the real one is us. That is cheating. <laughs> That's really sweet. <laughs> uh, favorite fictional, uh, Nathan Drake and 
Elena Fisher. You are really Let's- excited about that. Hell yes. Elena Fisher is the greatest character in the entire medium of video games. Check it. <laughs> Favorite painting, the Mona Lisa. Now, Darnell had a question for us. Several. What do we do <laughs> in the rest of our lives, like job-wise? I do a stupid office job that I hate that pays the bills so I can live the nightlife of a uh, podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I teach theater children. Yeah. Which I love. Mm-hmm. You even love some of the children. <laughs> I love most of the children. <laughs> I I I love I love teaching theater. Thanks so much, Darnell. So Riv sent us an email. Uh, favorite episode, Jim Henson. I guess my crying got to them too. Cause we, emotional moments, you guys. You we heard really, a lot of that. Just really like Jim Henson, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Two honorable mentions go to The Sound of Music, because that's the episode that Riv's cousin first got them into. The Chicago Cubs. Responding to an older prop, favorite behind the scenes movie. Thank uh, you for using the thank proper you, word. Thank really. you. Would be on the set of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. There was a scene where all the students were asleep in the Great Hall. And the guy that plays Dumbledore in, in between breaths would make a bunch of fart noises. <laughs> he did this to, to sort of pull a joke on Daniel Radcliffe, who asked him to put his sleeping bag next to a girl in the cast that he had a crush on. Teens. Teens. Uh, Riv also included some hedgehog pictures of Eliza the Hedgehog, and oh my gosh, I love hedgehogs so much. <laughs> and Eliza's really cute. Eliza is the sweetest of sweethearts. Oh, so thank you for sending that. Thanks, Riff. Eric wrote in to uh, say how much he enjoyed the Cochabamba episode and draw parallels to the California Water Wars. Folks, check that out on your own time. It's a very interesting story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his favorite History Honeys episode is Epcot, uh, going from the, the original uh, high futurist city design to the theme park that it is, is a really interesting story. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eric's wife really enjoyed the Haunted Chicago episode. Spook em! Spook em up. So thank you very much, Eric, for sharing not only this show, but also Sex Archie yeah. among your friends. Yeah. And Zane sent us an email. Uh, so they uh, have had the Magic Kingdom episode bookmarked for a while and got around to listening it, to it. And then they found out we also did Epcot and MGM Hollywood Studios, uh, which was very exciting. Uh, the Epcot episode is a favorite because of like the futuristic ideas and mm-hmm. imagery. Their middle school teacher had a copy of Creating the New World of Tomorrow that they used to look at a lot. So thank you, Zane. Thank you very much. Thank you for all all of these wonderful letters. Yeah. Uh, just a walk down memory lane. I have to say, y'all have good taste because I those are my favorite episodes too. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I didn't read any of these emails like, you really liked that one? I don't know why. <laughs> no. <laughs> you guys picked some good ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you would like to... Write us a letter yeah, uh, and share it to get read on the show, either answering the prompt or, again, questions, comments. In episodes where there are less than two dozen, we, we try to give them a little more time to breathe. I do apologize. But and where- they can always mute us if they don't want to listen the rest of the way. <laughs> That's what I figure. <laughs> <laughs> Just 
pause and come back later. But uh, where can those letters be sent? Uh, our History Honeys podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, thank you. And is there a prompt for next week? I want to hear about everybody's favorite mayor. Mayor? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cool. I'm curious to see what I'll find. Yeah. In the next mailbag. So send those our way. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can also chat with us on social media. Uh-huh. We are on Facebook, yep. Instagram, yep. and Twitter. Yep. All at, at History Honeys. Mm-hmm. And we also have another show. That's true. We have a show called Sex Archie. Yes. It is about Riverdale recaps, but it's about Archie comics and and the weird things people do with those characters in general. Mm-hmm. Now that we're in the off season, yeah, that, that's what our uh, between season one and two content is about. Yes, and we should have another uh, new episode coming out soon. I would love to have it up in the next few days. Yeah, so if you're interested in checking it out, mm-hmm. the next couple of weeks if- are actually a great time to kind of just jump in and test it out. You don't have to know what was going on yeah. in. The TV show. If you're interested in Sex Archie without Riverdale, these hey. bonus episodes are right up your alley. And we got some good stuff planned. Oh, yes. Uh, speaking of other shows we do, this episode comes out on Tuesday. Uh-huh. The following Thursday, very shortly after, check out Alka Hollywood. Mm-hmm. It's a show by uh, uh, some friends of ours, and they had us on yeah. to talk about a film called Tikan Kin Crete. Yeah. Which was a really visually lush and interesting uh, uh, Japanese animated film. Yes. So you get to hear us talk about what happened in it, what we thought about it, and a simple drinking game and custom cocktail to go with it. Yeah. That will be in the show notes after it comes out. So if you're listening to us early, it's not there yet. Not there. (laughs) Not there yet. But But we'll also be be sharing it on those social media venues. We will. There's a reason we tell you about them. Yeah, which, if you're not following us on social media, you have missed news. Mm -hmm. They have missed really important news in our life. We're expanding the cast for year two of History Honeys. Our family has grown. (laughs) Today we adopted a dog. We did. We went to a shelter. We went to the (laughs) Anti-Cruelty Society. Yes, and we adopted a one-year-old dog we have now called Moki. Mm-hmm. Uh, All you uh, Jim Henson fans that we just heard yeah, about, she is named after the Fraggle. She is. She is totally named after the Fraggle. Uh, and it is very exciting, and we have shared pictures on social media, so you should follow us there, because you missed out on our dog. <laughs> uh, the Moki's not here with us yet, but by the time this comes up, Moki will be home with mm-hmm. us, and it is very exciting. And we, we are glad to have another history honey joining us. <laughs> I can't wait to see how she responds to, like, having a few weeks of us doting on her and, yeah. and giving her all this attention. And then we just talk into this weird <laughs> stick for a while. She's like, why aren't she talking to me anymore? I don't understand. I figure she'll just be here on my lap and I'll be, like, holding her the whole time. Episode 29 is going to be where we figure these things out. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Since you all enjoy the show so much to, to share... Uh, what you thought of our first year. I would really love it if you shared that with everybody else. Giving us a rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, does so much to help the show. Uh, we've been steadily growing throughout this this first year, and it's been so wonderful. And a lot of that is on the back of your ratings and reviews. Yeah. And you can also tell your friends. Mm-hmm. If you had a favorite episode, 
feel free to tell a friend about it. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't need to start at the beginning. They don't need to start now. Be like, try this episode or this one. These were my favorites. It worked for Riv's cousin. It did. <laughs> and the Sound of Music was a great choice. Before we go, after all that housekeeping, I just want to thank you all again. Uh, this was something that we kicked around for a while, and then yeah. eventually on a whim, we did it. Yeah, it was it was a joke for a long mm-hmm. time. And when we did it, we decided to do it upright, so we, we commissioned art for our logo, music, mm-hmm. and thanks again uh, to Mara and Thylacinus for that the work you did. Yeah, and thank you guys for being such awesome mm-hmm. listeners. I'll be honest, I was a little terrified when we started doing this. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, but... You guys have been great. Yeah. Made me uh, not feel like a total failure. <laughs> so thanks. <laughs> yeah, the, the response has been wonderful mm-hmm. and, and, and so warm. Yeah. And I feel like we got a little like History Honey's family going. And that's why we're going to do it for another year. And uh, another after that, I'm sure. Keep it going. They keep making more history. We're just, never going to run just out. It keeps happening. What's yeah. with that? Yeah, all of this is all thanks to you. And uh, I guess now I have to take the word new out of the, the show description. We're just a podcast now. We're just now. a podcast now. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Uh, so with that. We should I- sing some Gordon Lightfoot. I'm Grant. And I'm Elena. And history's better. With, with your, your honey. honey.